Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Thank you all for participating with us in that prayer time. Uh, not that we were intending to solve any problems or come up with a solution after a five-minute time of prayer, uh, but uh, we, it, begin, it has to begin with prayer. It has to begin with prayer. Uh, life change. Life change, world change, change within our community has to begin when God's people come to His throne humbly, saying, Lord, we don't know the answer, but we know, we know who does. And we yield our hearts, we yield our lives to you to make a change in us first so that we can make a change in society. And so I challenge you just to keep on praying. When you hear things, I don't know about you, but I hear things that the good word would be vex, right? That would be a word that I could use that I don't have to apologize to you later on. You know, I hear things throughout the week that vexes me, and rather than stay vexed, then I go, I find that if that drives me to prayer, that's a good thing. If I find that it drives me to higher blood pressure and grinding my teeth at night, then that's a bad thing. And so I would challenge you to just be people of prayer in this season. We're Right now, as we're switching and shifting over to what we're talking about today, we're looking at unchanging principles of parenting. And the reality is I look out and I see several people that don't have children or your children are grown. The reality, these you could argue these are unchanging principles for living in a healthy world, unchanging principles for doing life together with friends and family, doing life as an aunt or an uncle, doing life as a neighbor to families. These are just principles that we're talking about of really just good relationships and healthy relationships. Uh, with that in mind, uh, the title of our talk is Unchanging Principles. And I recognize that, that in our unchanging principled world, everything's in flux, isn't it? And everything changes. Education changes, doesn't it, folks? You teachers out there, especially those of you who've been around more than a decade in education, how many times have you received and experienced uh, a different protocol that, the, that your school was going to take? I mean, one time, it was all in large groups, right? Energy was in large groups. And let's get his kids into a large room and, and have them uh, working together and, and, and big groups to, to create excitement and enthusiasm. And then what, you do that for a couple of years, and then the, the shift goes to small groups, right? And let's get them into work groups. And then the idea of let's cloister kids together and, and just get them in small teams. And if we could get teams of, of three and four, and if we could get smaller classrooms, that would solve our problems. And we ultimately say, well, okay, let's, let's teach kids individualism. And so you start working towards individualism. I mean, the mandates are unchanging there. You think about medicine, how much we've seen medicine change. Just even in the COVID time, my head will spin. One day we wear, we're supposed to wear a mask. The next day, if you wear a mask, you're going to die. Uh, one day I'm reading about how the, the, uh, the, the, the name of the game is to get as many ventilators online as possible. Then literally a week later, I'm hearing the doctors are quietly whispering that if we put a person on a, on a ventilator, that almost certainly that is a death sentence to them. Medicine, one day a, a certain medicine is, is the panacea, and then the next day it's not. I was, I was in a G, well, almost said the store. I was in a store, a vitamin store, looking for vitamin C because I'm out of vitamin C at the time. And evidently, 
was it colloidal silver, I think? That, that the rumor was that colloidal silver was, was, the, was going to, would take, would kill COVID in the body. And the guy just voluntarily said, well, as I, I announced, I announced clearly, I'm here to get some vitamin C. Where's your vitamin C at? And he said, well, we're all out of colloidal silver. I'm like, that's okay. I wasn't asking for colloidal silver, so we're good. And he goes, well, I'm telling you, if you want some colloidal silver, that you're going to need to get on this waiting list, and we'll have it in another month. And I was like... Fair enough. Uh, my understanding, though, was I wasn't here for colloidal silver. Where's your vitamin C? And he's like, well, I'm just saying, it, you know, there might be a couple of GNC. Oh, uh, I was so good up front. There might be a couple of other stores in our community that has it. If you would want, to, want me to call up and see if, if they have it, I can do that. And I said, thank you for your response to me. Again, I'm here for vitamin C, right? And then the next day I hear that that's, you know, a farce. So changes in medicine. You think about parenting as we come to look at the, the, the subject of parenting. Uh, Doris, I was going to single you out. I was going to single you out for a second and ask the question. Uh, all of us received unwanted advice from our grandparents uh, about how to raise our children. Like, for instance, I remember, I remember my mother told me that her mother told her that if I got a wound, if I got a cut, the best thing to do with that cut would be to put my hand in a bucket of, or put that body part in a bucket of coal oil. I don't even know what coal oil is, but that's, that would be the best thing. That, and, and, and even as a young man, I would remember my grandmother tell me about how my grandfather got his arm stuck in a baler, if you could imagine what kind of trauma that would do. And he didn't have to go to the hospital. He just stuck his arm in a bucket of coal oil and Everything was fine after that. So I was going to single you out, Doris, but I'm not going to do it today. But I was going to ask you what advice that was unwanted from your grandparents when you had kids. I mean, you know, there's no telling. Was it to put leeches on your children to get the evil spirits out? I don't know. I don't know. But that was like a long time ago, wasn't it? Yes, it was. So the point I'm trying to make is that, that just parenting styles just change, don't they? And there's just always this flux of, of good advice of how to parent our children. And, and oftentimes we get these principles that we will live by and we discover 20 years later that we did the worst thing we could do with our children, right? Uh, there was the, that, that advice that was given to us with such sincerity and such hopes for good things to come from it, you know, was, was just disaster in our lives. And what I'm here to do is show you some unchanging things that we can, that were true 100 years ago, they're true today, and they'll be true 100 years from now that you need to put into your life, that I need to put into my life as we are raising our children, as we are around the next generation. This comes from uh, the, the scripture verse I'm using comes from Mark chapter 10. If you have a copy of scripture, I invite you to turn there. This is a snapshot of how Jesus spent time with children. And we can see some things that Jesus did in, in his time with little kids that we need to also do with our children today. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, we have them on the screen for you. In Mark chapter 10, the writer, uh, Mark, he, he records and he says this about Jesus. He says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. 
he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Do you get the scene here? Now, with these Bible terms such as indignant, uh, sometimes they lack force for us. And we think that indignancy is this pious, you know, response. And Jesus is sitting there somewhat aloof, and, and he, is, he sees this happening, and he just says, let the little children come to me. And he's kind of staring off into, into the, the, the ether, right? Uh, the reality, this word indignant is meaning uh, he was vexed. <laughs> That's the word I used earlier in place of other words I would choose to use if, if the cameras were not on me, right? Uh, Jesus was ticked off at what was happening. There was an injustice happening, which was the disciples were saying, these children are worthless. They're a waste of time. Jesus is too important. Get the kids away because Jesus is an important man and needs to be around important people. And Jesus was ticked off. And he didn't say, let the little children come to me. I think he was like, dude, let the kids come to me. This is an important part of my ministry. This is an important thing of what I'm about. Do not hinder. Do not ever. I could see him just grabbing maybe a disciple by the lapels and just pointing his finger into his chest and say, don't you ever, ever let a child be hindered any longer. Don't you ever stop a kid from coming into my path ever again, Peter. That is a terrible mistake you made. He says this. He says, for the kingdom of God belongs to these kids. And he goes on. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And get this, this is an important verse, verse 16. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. He blessed them. That one verse, unlocking that one verse can unlock a whole world for us as we look at parenting and what it means to raise children, what it means to invest our lives, whether it's a parent or a grandparent, whether it's an aunt or an uncle, whether it's a cousin, whether it's a good friend. These are the things that we all must be doing with our children. What's the first thing I see here in verse 16? And he took the children in his arms. We see the importance of loving touch. Loving touch. Jesus knew that with his touch, there was power in it. You think about it. There was power in Jesus' touch where the dead could be raised, the blind could see, the deaf could hear. Those who were possessed and those who were oppressed by the enemy were able to have those possessions and oppressions lifted from them. Jesus' touch was powerful, and I would argue that our touch is also powerful. Our touch has the ability to show love or hate. Pleasure or displeasure. Our touch has the ability to embrace or to push away. Our touch has the ability to heal broken lives or fracture people even further. Touch is a powerful thing. Not only, not only do we recognize that touch is important, we also realize that we hunger for touch. We need touch in our lives. Sad is the person who never experiences the loving embrace of another person or the gentle hug of a friend or family member. Sad is the thing that a child who only experiences a, a strong hand of discipline but never a loving hand of support or encouragement. 
Jesus brought the children in to his arms and hugged them and held them. And those touches were appropriate and those touches were filled with love. So moms and dads, I ask you, how are you doing with this? Do your kids, do they expect and have they come to learn that every day is a hug from mom and dad? Every day is a pat on the back. Every day is a rub of their head. Every day, every day, they will experience the touch of their parents, and it will be appropriate, and it will be loving. Another thing we see here, Jesus, it says, he took the children in his arms, he placed the, his hands upon them. He made time, he made time for them. Uh, a second area of parenting is that we, we first lovingly touch our children, but we also make way for abundant time, abundant time for our children. I love the advice and the reminder from James, the brother of Jesus. In James chapter 4, verse 14, he says, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? It's, it's a mist. You are a mist that appears for a little while, James says, and then it vanishes. You see, here's the reality. All of us have the same amount of time in a week, right? We all, no matter who you are, no matter rich or poor, young or old, white or black, successful or unsuccessful, employed or unemployed, we all have seven days to work with. We all have 24 hours a day to work with. We all have the same amount of time. And having said that, that time is incredibly limited. It's incredibly limited. So what are you doing with your time during this week? Do you find yourself scurrying about and taking care of fires, putting out fires in your life that really matter not? Or do you find yourself stopping, stopping, and investing time into those things that are truly important, those things that will truly last? Do we find our times investing? Do we find that we're spending good time, our best time, investing in our relationship with God and investing in our relationship with one another and investing in our relationship with our children. And now for your enjoyment, I sing to you Cats in the Cradle to make my point. <laughs> no, no, I won't do that. Although I wrote a, another verse of Cats in the Cradle and I used it about eight months ago, I thought I would, you know, propel me to stardom and it did not happen. Um, the reality is this. Here's the reality. A song like that and a song that we understand is this. If you treat your kids as a distraction now, I promise you that they will treat you as a distraction later. You know that? If, if you are too busy for your children because your life is way too important, then expect, expect that when your children are adults, their lives are going to be too busy and you will be the distraction. And then when you do hear Cast in the Cradle on the radio, a tear will come out of your eye and you'll be like, so true, dude, so true. Right? And yes, I understand that in the teenage years, no matter what kind of parent you are, in the teenage years, many of you can attest, your kids are too busy, right? There's, there's ball, and there's jobs, and there's boys and girls, and there's cars, and there's things to do that, that every kid has to go and explore. But here's the reality, moms and dads, if you are investing in making abundant time in, their, in your kids' lives, those teenage years will pass. John Doc tells me, pray hard, 
because they need to pass quickly for many parents. But they will pass. And when the smoke settles and the dust clears, when the debris of all of the tragedy is, 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 is brushed aside, you will find a young man or a young woman who's now an adult, and they will have time for you. They will make time in their lives for you. Why? Because you made time for them when they were children. So make sure your abundant time is going towards your kids and going towards what's truly important. And then the third thing, this, this thing here, we could just stay on, and, and I really consider just talking about just this one thing. Because what did Jesus do? He, he took them in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Bless them. And I'm using the title or using the word encouraging talk. He, Jesus gave loving touch, he gave abundant time, and he gave encouraging talk to these children. He blessed these children. And it's a model for us today. Are we blessing our children with the words that we say to them? Now, that encouraging talk, it would be easy for us. Many of us would push back and say, Tony, I'm not so good at that. I'm not, I'm not so good at, at sharing my feelings. And truth be told, I'm not either, friend. You know, uh, it's, it's ironic, isn't it? Clearly, we all know in this room, I have the gift of gab. Right? I'm, I know that about myself. I know you can, you can, uh, I'm, I'm probably one of the few people that could win a debate and get a debate prize, and I'm the only person in the room, right? I can debate myself. I can talk and talk and talk. But boy, I tell you what, I do find myself coming very silent when it comes time when Dana and I and Dax are just in a room by ourselves that I could very easily be like, ah, oh, I don't want to say what's inside my heart right now. I just want to be quiet. You know, I don't want to talk about these things. It's, it's, it's putting us out there. When we, when we share, when we, give, when, we, when we give our encouraging talk, there's a certain level, there's a certain level of vulnerable that happens when we say, hey, here's what's going on inside of me. Here's what I think about you right now. Here's what I think about you. Here's how I feel about you in this moment. And, and I would imagine for children, for our, us doing that to our children, it's just as difficult. So for those of you who sit back and you say, hey, this, this is hard. This is too hard for me. Let's look at a place where the Heavenly Father gave encouraging talk to the Son. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, right after Jesus was risen from the water from his baptism, when he began his ministry, of, uh, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and then those in that area, those in that space, heard Jesus being talked to by God. And it said, a voice from heaven, the scripture says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And again, we read this from the Bible with a certain level of austerity and holiness. But imagine the passion of an eternal God who had a perfect relationship with his son. And he's so proud of his son. He's so proud. I mean, when Jesus was baptized, I got to believe that that to God was what it's like for you when you see your kid maybe hit a home run at a baseball game. Or maybe your kid gets a prize or gets some kind of award at school or you, you're for those of you who are older, you have an adult child who, who gets a, a manager position in a job, and you're just so proud of them, and you can't, you just got to share it with everyone. 
And I believe that's what is happening here where God's pride for his son is just bubbling over in his heart and he just has to proclaim it to anyone in the world who will listen. And he goes, this is my son. This is my son who I love. I love Jesus so much. I am so well pleased with him. He is so good. He's doing such a great job right now. I got to wonder that during the rough times of Jesus' ministry, when people left him, when people were abandoning him, when people were not getting what his mission was, in moments like this, when people were trying to push the children away, and Jesus is like, Jesus was vexed, right? And he's just sitting there shaking his head going, when will you people get what's important in life? I got to wonder, there's moments when Jesus was like, maybe I just need to go back to heaven. Maybe I just should abandon this because this is a fool's errand. And then he remembers the loving words of his dad in which he said, you're my son and I love you. I'm so pleased. Keep it up. Keep it up. What, how can we use this as a, as a template for how we talk to our children? Three parts here. This is my son. Relationship. Man, in your conversation, continue over and over and over to pound relationship into your children's lives because they're living in a world. Part of the problem with our world is we are so fractured. We're so fractured. We're very much, I make the argument that we are headed into a dark ages of society, just like the feudal ages were. We're, we're fractured by culture and by creeds and by divisions of race and divisions of tribalism and div just everything that could possibly be a division. And guess what? There is giant divisions right now between parents and children. And so for us, we have to constantly be speaking into our kids' lives, saying, we are together. We're together here. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. And no matter what you learn from a college grad assistant in your first year of school, that does not change the fact. No matter what you hear at work, no matter what you read, no matter what meme you pick up and you decide that is the new creed you're going to live by, you are my son, you are my daughter, and that will Will never change. So constantly speaking in relationship to our kids, but also status, not only relationship status, this is my son who I love. You know what? We live on shifting sand, don't we? We've already talked about that. We've already talked about how everything is changing in our lives. You know, I'm old enough now that the ties that I put aside in my 20s are cool again. Unfortunately, I don't wear ties anymore, so they just still sit in my closet, you know, because one day I might wear a tie. You never know. Everything's changing. Think of what it's like to be a, a teen. Think of what it's like to be, you know, 10 or 11 years old. We, we do the best that we can. We do the best that we can to protect our son and give give Dax a firm foundation where he's not fearful of what's going to happen. But even with the best that we can, he'll catch wind of, of things that are happening on TV. Or even, you can't even do that, just, just the, the, the things of life. Terrible storms that come across, you know. Dax and I, remember that horrible pseudo-tornado that came and destroyed those duck boats. Dax and I were outside. Two things happened in, the, in a real short period. We were outside when those winds kicked up and came across Springfield. And I mean, and it was truly kind of a fearful thing. I remember going, Dax, it's time to go inside now. Now, 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 we're going now. And you know what? That's marked him. 
That's marked him. So that if it's even a strong breeze outside, he just starts getting kind of like, I want to go inside. I want to go, it's time to go inside. It's time to go inside. And, and so what do I have to do? I have to be speaking my status because th- these things in the world that are so fearful for our kids, we have to remind them that no matter what is happening, no matter what's going on, no matter what is pulling at them or tearing at them, that our love is there. And that's what God was doing here. He said, you are my son, and I love you. I love you. You know, it's easy for us to sit back and go, oh, our kids know that. Our kids know that. Well, don't you think God's son knew his love, you know? But yet God still proclaimed it. He still proclaimed it. He still said, I love you. Why? Because Jesus lived in a world of hate, in a world that pulled at him at every angle. And here's the reality. Our kids live in a world of hate. And they need to be reminded often that there are people who love them and are rooting for them. And then we see here a declaration, a declaration for all to hear. I am well pleased with you, Jesus. And we need to be saying that to our kids over and over and over again. And yes, you know, I know there's two extremes. The one extreme that we all, most of us in this room, mock, including me, the idea that you show up, you get an award. You go and you, you sign up for baseball and you get a trophy. That's a ridiculous thing. Yes, I get it and I agree 100%. But there's the other extreme that if we're not careful, then we find ourselves backing into. In order to address that, then we find that compliments are so few and so far between when we give them out, you know? Because we're like, well, when I give a compliment, I want them to earn it. So in order for your kid to be told that they did a great job, what do they have to do? Be valedictorian of their class? You know? I've, I've met parents who sometimes when their kid just conquers a new skill, like, like when I was, back in the day when I used to teach some kids karate and I'd have some parents hanging out there, there would be this one dad. This kid could just put it all out there on the mat. I mean, just do everything that, and just work his little rear off and just sweat. And his dad would always, at the end of the day, show him and tell him what he could have done better, Right? And this kid, you just see him beaten down because he was just like, I just one time want to be told that I was doing a good job, you know? I just one time want to be told that they, my dad saw how hard I worked. And I, I was rooting for the kid. I'm like, Dad, just tell him, just tell him, hey, I appreciate how hard you're working out there. You're doing such a great job. Keep it up, and you're going to go places, right? I, and as a matter of fact, got to the point where I pulled the dad aside even, and I said, you know, your son is not going to get any better until he starts believing that you think he can get better. Because right now he thinks that he's a waste, at least when it comes to karate. And, and he's, he's just not going to get any better. And, and, you know, that's, we have to be people who are declaring to anyone who will hear that we are pleased with our children. What I want to do is I want to conclude today by watching this video. Uh, I encourage you to let's watch this video here. And uh, we're going to end on this video. And the question I ask you is just, do you recognize, is this you? Is this you in the video? Or is it something different? Watch, watch the screens. Hey, church, we have to be people who are living out these unchanging principles because our children need them desperately. And one day they will have children. And the question of how will they parent will largely be determined by how you parent it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you Help us. Help us to be parents who shape our home and our family with loving touch and abundant time. 
and encouraging talk. May our kids see you through us, Lord, that they will know how good you are because of how good we reflect your love to them. These things we pray in your powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.